Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to Spilling the Truth. Today's episode is brought to you by the Cool Hot Guys. No, not John and myself. I'm talking about the best air conditioning company in Arizona. Now, when it comes to AC companies, you want someone you can trust. If it's a $5 fix, you want them to know or tell you that it's actually a $5 fix. You don't want someone to screw you over. You don't want somebody to take advantage of you. And Joe over at Cool Hot Guys, he'll take good care of you. Give them a call, 602-COOL-BUS, or you can look them up online at coolhotguys.com. And now for today's episode. Today's episode, John and I discuss a recent trade show we went to. We're going to talk all about the different fun wines we got to try, some of the great people we got to meet, and we kind of go on a rant all about sulfites. This is one of the big pet peeves of both of us, and this episode, we kind of get down and dirty about the whole sulfite thing in wines. So really hope you enjoy. Please check out this episode also on YouTube, and then follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, wherever else you can find us. Thank you for tuning in. Love y'all. <laughs> I'll take the lead. All right, you start. You start it off. Welcome to spilling the truth. I'll do a one-two step here. You lead. Kinda. Well, today's all about the five hundred pound elephant. Actually, how much do elephants weigh? They got more than five hundred pounds. Two thousand pound elephant. I was gonna 10, say if it's a five hundred pound elephant. It's like maybe a baby at best. Yeah, that's not even Dumbo. Yeah, that's that's a very tiny elephant. It's yeah, maybe one of his ears. Dude, ta- they got to be like two tons. Yeah, we're talking about the fifty thousand pound monster in the room today. Oh, the 10, 10 parts per million elephant in the room. Sulfites. Yeah. Honestly, it's funny that we got into such a rant about it over the last, what, four days now? It takes literally one thing to trigger me, and then I just don't let up. One thing? Yeah. It's always just one thing. It's usually a few things. It's, usually it's one or two things. It's weird how, you know, there's always people who will sit there and they'll listen to you and they'll take information and they'll bring it all in. But then there's that one thing where they hear what they were not expecting, like they were told their whole life that this is how something is. And then somebody comes along and says, no, that's not actually how it is. And they're like, nope, you're wrong. And that's the hill they're going to die on. And in this case, sulfites. I don't know where it started, how it started, who started it. I mean, it's it's one of my biggest pet peeves. And I've been fighting it since I got into the business. I'm convinced that somewhere at some time, some state congressman or like a federal senator, somebody in Congress got real drunk at a party with like a bunch of strippers and they were doing all sorts of drugs and then somebody got caught and they were like, oh, why are you so screwed up, sir? And he's like, oh, it was the uh, it was the wine that we had. There's something in it. We should check that. And they were like, well, let's blame it on sulfites for all my other problems. And ever since then, we've had a sulfite thing. Well, I think a lot of people also just want to blame something else for their problems. I mean, that's, that's just true. Kind of the way the world is working right now. It's always somebody else's fault. You know, oh, I got a hangover. It must be the sulfites. It's not the four bottles of wine on the empty stomach and the three Xanax that I had. And the shot of whiskey after the glass of wine and the two beers. And then when I got home, I smoked a bunch of weed. But no, it's the sulfites in the wine. But I mean, it, it is very easy to drink a lot of wine. And it is true that wine can give you a probably the worst hangover out there. So it's... Yes, hands down, but hangover and headache to me are two different things. Yeah. And I think that's a good separation point of where I think we can get a lot of people to start on knowing, you know, what to do or how to drink, not what to drink, but like how to drink. Because a hangover is 100% your fault. You drank everything. You looked at the top shelf, had the top shelf, then you went to the middle shelf, then you went to the wells. 
And then you figured, well, I'll keep drinking beer. And then your hangover is just brutally bad. So that's probably where that comes from. But that headache, and everybody knows that where it's like, right, it's focused. It's one spot. You're fine. You turn your head, and all of a sudden, your head feels like it's just getting pounded in, and sounds are terrible. And and you you know, only really see that in wine a lot more often than not. And if I drink too much beer, I still wake up the next day. I might have a little hangover, but I'm usually, it goes away fairly fast. Whereas the wine headache takes 24 hours to go away. It doesn't matter how much water I drink. doesn't take, matter how much aspirin I take. I mean, it's, it could be brutal. It could be really, really debilitating. And especially as you get older, I can't imagine it gets any easier. <laughs> so there's a lot you could do. But again, it's, it's an education thing to say, hey, it's not the sulfites. I think it's because people see it on a bottle. It's because when they look, yeah. at, they look at a bottle of wine... And it doesn't say, it just says basically the alcohol content, and it always says contains sulfites. Yeah. And I think that's where it's easy for people to blame the sulfites. Yeah, putting it on the back of the bottle was a huge mistake. And I understand where people want to see more of what goes into a wine. Like, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's Ridge. Ridge has all the ingredients that they use on their bottle, which I think is cool. I get it. But I have people who have drank it go, well, what is chitazin? What is icing glass? Like, what are, what's SO2? I'm like, well, that's sulfites. And you got to explain certain things. I think it's so insanely unnecessary. It's wine. Like, I'm not asking Bud Light to tell me that they use, what is it, water, rice, beechwood, and some type of grain. I don't care. It's Bud Light. I know what I'm drinking. Same thing with wine. It's grapes and oak. <laughs> True. But I don't think most beer producers are adding up to 60 different chemicals and other things into their products probably not no whereas wine there's over 60 different things approved you can add into wine that's not sulfites that's crazy i actually did not know that because i know what i use and it's only about three or four different things and i'd say the most prevalent is you know you kind of let nature takes its course but you have to in wine you have to add sulfites (laughs) i don't know i have no idea how to turn the sound of my ipad off was it sound or was it just the fact that it opened up? No, I got a, t- a text and it just comes right to my iPad. Yeah, okay. Somebody asking about sulfites. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, literally, it's been four days now. I've been ranting on Twitter. I've been ranting on Reddit, which is semi-anonymous, uh, so not everybody not knows anymore. it's me. Uh, it took you, actually. It's pretty ridiculous. It, that's funny. It took you a good day to realize that was even me. I had no idea it was you. I mean, I, I, was really I, I, I have the number one trending post right now in the Reddit slash wine subreddit. Yeah, and reading it, people are more offended that you even made a comment yes. than they are offended that the fact that the truth is that it's not sulfites that cause headaches. Yeah. People are just mad that you made a comment about it, Yes, which is insane to me. Like, here's fact. You didn't provide your sources, which I think was like half the problem. But then, like, the vast majority of people agreed, saying, thank you, yes, this is what we're trying to teach people. And you could tell who's in the industry. Yes, this is what we're trying to teach people. Thank you for finally telling, this is what we're trying to promote, blah, blah, And then everybody else who's not in the industry was like, you don't know what you're talking about, provide sources, blah, 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 I hate you. Half of those are also probably gluten-free anti-vaxxers. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day... There's no sulfites on a flat earth. And I did provide all my sources. They're just in the comments section. And most people will just jump to conclusions and make a comment and not read any of the comments themselves. Yeah. And people don't want to put in the time and energy to research a question. They'll take what you said as either pure fact or pure fiction without doing any research. But You are the research. Somebody told them, obviously, one day that sulfites gave them the headaches, and they took that as fact without ever looking it up. Yeah. I mean, you could look in Wine Folly's book, you can look on the line, you could look into, there's 
doctor studies on it. I've made five different posts on my own Facebook just over the last couple of days and are spilling the truth Facebook page. I've copied the same articles on there. Yeah. And these are written by either sommeliers or doctors, and they all have... The doctors are the important ones, too. And they all have quoted resources on where they got the information on, and people are still like... No, 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 yeah. no. And they want to argue with me. They're like, but I don't, like, I, I mentioned ketchup has a ton of sulfites in it. They're like, but I don't drink 750 milliliters of ketchup. <laughs> that was a great one. <laughs> like, that was what? a great comment, whoever read that one. And one guy's like, I'm a ketchup farmer. I'm glad or something Cool, stupid. but you had ketchup. You probably had some vegetables. You probably had some dried fruit. You probably went to your cupboard and grabbed some crackers. I guarantee you, all day long, all day long, unless you are making your own food and, you know, killing your own chickens... You're having sulfites throughout the entire day. Yeah, I'm that's gonna, the reality of how food gets preserved. It's either sugar, sulfites, or it's bathed in um, begins with an A. It's like not acetone. Actually, it might be acetone. Anyways, but there's like a thing that they bathe meat in to kill all the germs. I mean, but it's sulfites. I'm gonna take a deep breath for a second. These are the items that have more sulfites than a bottle of wine. Hold on, I'm gonna go do my taxes while you do this because how long this is gonna take? Soda, canned fruit. Frozen vegetables, fruit juice, fruit fillings, fruit syrup, jam, jelly, dried fruit, cereal, cornstarch, crackers, French fries, your McDonald's fries. Yeah. If you get a hangover with, from McDonald's fries, then you have a sulfite issue. Or if you turn red from sulf, uh, eating French fries. Tomato paste, horseradish, ketchup, mustard, relish, vinegar, pretty much anything you get in a, a ballpark, basically. Lemon juice. I took a breath. <gasps> Granola <laughs> bars, deli meats, you hot bre- dogs. You breathed in sulfites, probably. Sausages. All your cured meats in Italy. All cured meats. Everything. Anything you get out of a deli. Salad dressing. Gravy. Whoop, there goes Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, canned soup. Shellfish. Really? I'm surprised about the shellfish. Soy one. products. Whoop, yeah. there goes your sushi dinner. There goes your vegan diet. Gelatin. Molasses. And even some pharmaceuticals and medications, too. Yeah, it's a binding agent for some of those things. It's just pr- All it is is an antioxidation. That's, so, all it's, that's all it's used for. Kills germs and antioxidizing. And, you know, it... it Basically, the law was changed because, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, people started adding a lot of sulfites to fresh fruits at restaurants. You cut an apple, and an hour later, it's all brown. brown. Or you make a fruit salad, it's all brown. Avocado. They started adding... You ever had guacamole that's still green three days in a package? Guess what keeps it green? Sulfites. Yeah. Because you don't have have a package of sulfites at home, so when you make your own avocado or you make your own guacamole... Yeah. It's brown the next day, unless you know the secret. It's brown keep, an hour later. Keeping the pit in there is the secret. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Really, keep that pit. Because I always, that's the first thing that you, oh, uh, makes sense because there's a huge bowl too. When, when you make guac, take that pit and just drop it in the middle and cover it with plastic and it'll actually keep it from turning. Oh, good little uh, life hack little, there. A little rush on hack I like for it. you. Cool. But still, I'm, and I don't know how many sulfites from that pit. <laughs> <laughs> It's crazy. Two dehydrated apricots have more sulfites than a whole bottle of wine. We brought in uh, at our winery, we used to put apricots on our cheese plate and they were, you know, orange, like bright, vibrant orange. And we switched to all natural apricots and they came in. I, there's not a brown around here that I could show you. It, it looked terrible. We actually got rid of them because they looked bad because they were all natural. They weren't protected by a preservative. And when they say preservatives, they mean to say sulfites. And, and the argument I hear a lot, a couple of them. One, I only drink European wines because they have less sulfites. No. Pfft, wrong. Uh-uh. Same amount of sulfites. Nothing changes. First of all, it's... They na- actually have a higher level they're allowed to use in some It's cases. naturally occurring. 
Yeah. It happens during fermentation. Like it's it's natural in wine. It's literally a byproduct of the yeast converting the alcohol. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So even if they don't add sulfites, there's still sulfites in the wine. So why do people get less hangovers from European wines? I'm gonna say one, typically less alcohol. A lot of European yes. wines are gonna be twelve to thirteen percent. Where your Opalo Zin is sixteen nine in the label and probably forty six in real life. Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> those things are so damn hot. Where is Opalo? <laughs> it's basically poor. But it's basically poor at that point. Yeah. Yeah, and another thing is the oak manipulation. Oak is a huge thing. We use a lot of new American oak. We use a lot of aggressive oak, which makes the wine very harsh on the body and instills a lot of tannins in it. Also, if you buy a lot of cheap wines, a lot of those cheap wines aren't aged in a French oak barrel. They're using wood chips. They're using staves. They're using an artificial method. Or they're using dust. tannin powder. Tannin powder. Dust, yeah. yeah. Literally grinding an oak tree down to a dust and convectioning it to the powder they want. Hamster bedding. In that wine. Hamster bedding. They're literally throwing hamster bedding in, yeah. the bo- in your wine. You ever been to a bar where you throw the peanuts on the ground? Or if you vomit on the ground, that's what soak it up? That's, that's dust. That's what it is. Yes. So when you're adding this very aggressive tannin, because those, those tannin powders... Those oak chips, those staves, make the wine very oaky very fast. That's how they could put out this wine in nine months, and it's like a super oak bomb. And it's $3. Whereas, exactly, whereas these Barolos age for two or three years in an oak barrel, and it's not very oaky. But they're It's u- been used for, how, what, generations? They're using 30-year-old barrels, so there's not a lot of oak necessarily left in it. Plus, that oak is very old oak trees. Those aren't modern-day oak barrels where the the uh, pores are been opened up yeah so those old barrels aren't instilling a lot of the the tannins and the histamines so you're it's not affecting your body so much yeah so i mean at the end of the day the most important thing you can do is drink a lot of water water those hydro homies man they love their water water is one of the best things to fight the headache again it's not the hangover because you're gonna get a hangover the more that you drink you're just gonna mitigate it a little bit but that headache, that soul-crushing, debilitating, terrible headache will help get rid of that by drinking a lot of water. It always helps. Take a vitamin pill before you go out, too. It probably helps even more. They say you should drink one glass of water for every glass of wine. Absolutely. That's what I recommend. Every time I do 101s at my event, every glass of wine, glass of water. And not a lot of people do that. They just sit there and chug glass after glass of wine. The most they might rehydrate with is a beer or something. Yeah, or they go home, they pound a bottle of water, and they're like, that'll be fine. You're like, dude, you, you pounded too late. a bottle. Yeah. It's already too it's late It's already in point. your system. Yeah. yeah. So it really does amaze me, though. So I started with, I, I always said it started with Whole Foods. I think it started with like the hippie movement, kind of the people that wanted to push natural wines or try and push sulfite-reduced wines. And they started coming up with this and telling people this, and it just started to spread. And of course, when someone looks at a bottle of wine, they say, oh, I just got a hangover. What could it be? Oh, contained sulfites. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, I wonder. I really would love to see a time when if they don't put it on the bottle, what it would be like. Like, I imagine Europe, this is not a conversation anybody has. If you go to Europe, France, Italy, wherever, and you say, do you have sulfites in the wine? They're going to look at you like, yeah, obviously we have sulfites in the wine. Like, like this point. I want to know if this is the debate that is happening in Europe anywhere. I can't imagine in any way, shape, or form that nope. is. Because you know from imports, they have to have a separate bottle for America. Correct. Now, you're, it just hit me, and that's probably why people mentally think that they could drink European wines and not get... They think it doesn't have the same amount of sulfites because it doesn't say it on the label in Europe. It's literally a reverse placebo effect. Yes. That's exactly what it is. People see a tag on it. I bet you can make up a, like, a totally different wording. 
and say that it's on there and oh it's totally that that's what it is like they could change the sulfites to sulfates which will kill you if you drink too much of because that's an actual cleaning agent and people are like oh well it's the sulfates and you could just run a long long scam about that kind of like the whole gluten oh i'm gluten allergic no you're not you don't have celiacs you just you're just eating too much fucking bread and some other things. Yes, yeah, some people are gluten intolerant. I get it. But you don't have celiacs. Like, people have celiacs have a real problem, which I actually want to talk about real quick. Like, not celiacs, but if you have a real sulfite allergy... What does it do to you? Do you know? You have an asthma attack immediately. Like, you literally, all of a sudden, your lungs constrict a little bit. Your throat kind of closes up. You have an asthma attack. So people with asthma actually have a actual true semi-sulfite allergy. And it's less than, I want to say it's like, it's less than 1% of the population truly has a pure sulfite allergy. And it's a real thing. The rest of us, or the rest of the people who fake it, don't. And it's so weird to hear people constantly, constantly say they have a problem. And I'm fine with educating people. I love sitting there saying it's not sulfites. And you see the light bulb go off, go, oh, I was educated wrong. But they never made an excuse for it. But some people said to go, I was diagnosed with a sulfide allergy. That's why I only drink white wine. And I'm like, oh my, yes. no, no, there's more sulfites in a white wine than there is red wine. I it's, mean, a, it's just frustrating. I mean, in a way, it's almost like the gluten thing because there's gluten in so many items that people don't know. And people are like, oh, I can't have bread or pasta because I'm gluten intolerant. That's why I eat sushi and I have my soy sauce. Well, you know, soy sauce, the number one, ingre- <laughs> number one ingredient in soy sauce, gluten, wheat. Yeah. Number one ingredient. Also, I think the number three uh, ingredient in yellow Gatorade, wheat. You're ruining ye- yellow Gatorade for me. I already has yellow number five, which apparently yeah. makes you, it, you know, there's, there's, not produce there, any sperm. There's gluten in like half the Gatorades out there. That's crazy. I never knew that. Yeah. So all these people that are like, oh, I can't have gluten. Well, you haven't truly done the research. And I'll be honest, a lot of the people I've tried to argue with or debate or educate, they fight back. They're like, yes. well, well, but how many parts per million is in ketchup? How many parts per million is in this? It's like, if you have an allergy, you have an, it's allergy. an allergy. If you have, if you have a peanut allergy, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter if it's a handful of peanuts or I, you. I, I can't. Them. I can't eat peanuts on freaking airplanes anymore because of you and your damn peanut allergies. Yeah, because it's in the air. Yeah, because you have an allergy. But you know what? Your your sulfite allergy. No, no, no. I can eat everything. I just can't have wine because that's what gives me the sulfite issue. Yeah, no. and the littlest amount. Well, I can have like fifty parts per million, but not ten. Like you. No, no you can't have it. If you have an allergy, you cannot have it like you can be a little you know whatever like the big one is that whole the um the red flush that some people get they blame yeah you see my face yeah <laughs> i get yeah, red flush all the time yeah and it's funny it's not a sulfite thing that's a total alcohol thing yeah. when it comes down to it people are like oh it's the sulfites making me turn red no it's it's not where do you hear this stop going on the internet or letting your friend whose wife told you, oh, I have allergies and therefore I can't drink it. This is the mind-blowing thing, though, is that in the day of self-diagnosis and WebMD, all they do is look it up and they'll find that it's not true. But they don't want to believe it. They don't want to believe it because yeah. they want... It, it's so strange. Go, go Google, Google wine sulfites and I bet the top 10 articles are why it doesn't cause headaches. By Wine Folly's book, by... I mean, the articles that I just posted this week on my Facebook, there's amazing articles that I posted all over this week yeah. about it. And like I said, they're written by psalms, doctors, people that have actually studied it in multiple cases. And it's... Well, look, it's so prevalent and it's so talked about that there's companies that lie and advertise that they can have the aerator that removes sulfites. Yes. 
Dude, it hits air. It immediately binds to oxygen, and now it's just a neutral sulfite. But still, it can't remove it. It's in the wine. Somebody asked me about this device the other day, and I was just like, that thing is bullshit. And it they're is. like, no, it, they tested it. It removes this and this and this. I'm like, oh, no. My God. No. It's You're, in the it's wine. Sna no. It's snake oil. It's 100% oh, snake oil. That's that's what it is. This is the, the medicine MLM. man. It's the MLM stuff, yes. that multi-level marketing I, aerator. I think of the, the old guy that went from town to town to town in his covered wagon selling some tonic that cured all your illnesses. It's it's the flat earther telescope that only sees the land flat all the way across. Dude, <laughs> it is flat. <laughs> We've talked about this. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to talk about this throughout this episode because this is something that's really been bugging me a lot and i think everybody needs to spread the word and spill the truth about sulfites i truly do and it's an industry it's a true industry thing where the actual people in the industry like doctors with vaccines are sitting there going listen to us this is not the problem it is you i think that might be it maybe we need to change the conversation from it's your fault to it's something it's got to we have to change the subject from sulfites fault or your fault we have to find a new enemy and I don't know what the enemy would be. Or maybe the ally is the water. Just, hey, every time you drink it, just drink water. You, you can absolutely. I know you say you can't drink red. You absolutely can, but you need two glasses of water for every red you drink. I, and I, then people might be like, oh, well, I do have a sulfide allergy, but when I drink two glasses of water, I'm fine because it works. Like I find it I so know. strange that of all the things you have to put on the back of the label, you have to put sulfites on there. Yeah. You don't have to put icing glass. You There's don't have to put chemicals. Yeah. Uh, mega PBC. purple. Well, Mega Purple still at least, uh, it's as natural as sulfites in theory. But the big one is those cheap companies that use plastic to remove the haze, the, the uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? The, like, uh, the sediment of the wine. It's a plastic that goes into dirt cheap wine. And that is a cancer-causing agent. And it's in your wine. Remember a while ago when everybody blew up about arsenic being in wine, but it was at such a throw, it was like at the parts per billion where it doesn't affect you in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. <laughs> so lost their minds about, oh, there's arsenic in wine. Like, dude, there's arsenic in everything. Acacia gum, uh, acaldehyde, that's when you were Acelda talking about. Acaldehyde's actually the one? really, it's the main that, one that causes headaches. That it's used to add color stabilization uh, prior to concentration. Uh, egg whites. I mean, I have this list. And I'm, I mean, if you can even see this list, these are all the chemicals that you can add into your wine. It's literally page upon page upon page. And this is the FDA's website. This is all that's approved, but you don't have to put any of these on the label. Nothing. If you want to see this list, uh, we'll post it on the Spilling the Truth Facebook page. And you can also find it on my page as well. So I guess let me ask you this. Copper, you copper sulfite. Polyethylene 40, monostrite, silicon dioxide, so dethamyl, dicarbonate, ethamyl. I can't even pronounce all these. This is like you trying to pronounce German wines. <laughs> 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 yeah, don't show me that list. We'll never get off of this podcast. Oh, my God. But do you think, though, even if you put that in, people should be able to show that that's what's in your wine? Or do you think just we should educate people don't buy cheap wine because odds are that's in there? Yes. Like, you don't show what goes into a McDonald's burger but let's pretend 90% of that is meat. The other 10% is stabilizing agents, chemicals to make it smell good. Whatever antibiotics went into the cap, all oh, the chemical that holds that burger See, together. See, I thought it was the other way around. Delicious. I thought only like 10% is meat. And the other, That's Taco Bell. That's and, filler. And the other 90% of a McDonald's burger is basically filler. It's hopes and crushed dreams. <laughs> it really is mind-blowing that 
in this day and age with this product being a $150 billion industry just in America that you don't have to put the ingredients on the label. But I, I'm, I'm glad we don't. I do not, I think I, I hate seeing uh, uh, nutrition facts on the back of a label. But you have to put it on every single thing else you consume. You have to, they have it on milk. I'm pretty sure that water now has a nutritional it value. It does, and beer. There, so here's a big thing, and I learned this with those nutritional facts. Sometimes the massive conglomerates will push for regulation because then the little guys can't do it. And they can't afford to put that on their can. So it might kind of crush a little competition. So it's not necessarily like you hear the 5% of the population losing their mind because they don't know what's in a wine, which is sort of fair up to a point. But then these big guys come along and go, yeah, let's find out. Because if we have to make this guy pay 10 cents more a bottle to put that label on, he makes a million bottles, he's going to hurt his business and he might go out. And now we have an area to suck that vacuum up. And this doesn't even include the stuff like Sean was talking about, that one on the episode about the... The the, the non tank. The smoke tape, but there's a term for the non-particulate matter or whatever it is. The uh, non-organic matter. Yes. But it's because of the G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, whatever. He'll text me as soon yes. as we post this. Yeah. Hi, Sean. Um, hey, buddy. So, By the way, I'm fine if you're asking. Yes. John ended up with a, well, how many stitches? I got four stitches. Four stitches. Yeah. Try to catch a glass at the same time. Not a... Listen, guys, uh, great advice. If a glass falls off a table... Let, let it, it fall. <laughs> Just let it fall. <laughs> yes. This is going to be a very expensive hospital bill versus a $5 glass of wine. Yeah. That but, one sucks. But the wine that was in there was not a cheap wine. It was empty. That was an empty glass, <laughs> oh, okay. too. So we saved the Ravana. We're good. We're drinking 01 Ravana. So <laughs> that one sucked. <laughs> yeah. It happens. It does. Literally, we weren't even going to record today. I was like, I need to go on a rant about these. Yeah. I felt it. I got it. I, I saw for you blowing up on every social media thing about it. Yeah, but it's it's true. It's one of the it's a true pet peeve of the wine industry. You know, you get bad service, you get unruly customers and certain knowledge. But this one, this one really actually affects people to a point. I, I made some valid points on Reddit, and I have hundreds of downvotes. My most downvoted comments ever on Reddit. And if you don't know the way Reddit works, you can upvote and downvote stuff. God forbid stuff. you put facts on there. Yeah, I threw a fact and it was like within within six hours, minus 60 downvotes. So like this this is on top of the, the, the you know, 100 upvotes and then I've had 160 downvotes. Well, so, so, so I'm sitting at minus 60. Well, here's the crazy thing. So like how most things seem to be this day, you have 300 upvotes, which is a lot on the wine subreddit. You have a lot of people just sitting there going, I agree, but not commenting. But everybody who's commenting is losing their mind about you. Boom. And then they went off track. They're not even talking about sulfites. They're attacking And they're attacking me. They're like, you I got suck. called a douche. <laughs> Multiple times. And then and then I laid out the facts and I was like, please apologize. He didn't apologize. Didn't apologize. I, th- I, think, I, think, I think I was called more names after that. Yeah. There was definitely a few C-bombs and everything else in there. Yes. You got literally called everything because you just said people had. Because hey. I told the truth. Yeah. You know, I mean, hey, sometimes you have to get a little controversial and, you know, break it down. And some people you're never going to break through to. I, in a way, this is such a simple little thing. But now I know how doctors feel when it comes to, like, anti-vaxxing. Yeah, you know, or, medicine in general. Medicine in general. And, and there's things where you're like, oh, my God, this has been proven for hundreds of years. How are you trying to argue with me now about That's it? That's right, Damien. You're a shill for the sulfite conglomerates. I am. I'm on the payroll. You're on the payroll, making that 10 cents a year for the 8 billion pounds that they make. <laughs> yes. If you want to go to my website, uh, sulfitesforcheap.com, I will sell them to you on the download. You're sulfiting <laughs> for the cause. God. <laughs> I need to drink after that comment. 
So oh. what? I, all right. So what did we grab? Because all right. So we well, I want to come back to this, but we should take a breather before we just sound like a bunch oh of angry. God. We I, sound like those old eighty-year-old dudes who just bitch off in a corner. Kind of ranting for a while. Yeah. So, but we we just came back from um, which I think this is was this where the sulfide thing started? Was uh, it started with an article I'd read over the weekend, and because then we went to the the trade show festival where there was I don't know what like two hundred wineries. No, it's probably a couple hundred wineries, hundreds of bottles is what it ended up being. It was the biggest iteration of the Quench trade show. So Quench is a local distributor. Uh, they're part of Palomar and Victory Wine Groups, which is in multiple states. And they have an awesome uh, portfolio. They do. They're in Minnesota, Texas, Florida, and Arizona right now. And I think they're going to expand to some more states soon. Good. Uh, they're a top-level distributor. So if you're in the business, if you're a restaurateur and you're not dealing with them in those four states, you probably should. Yeah. Uh, they represent some fantastic wines from around the world. They represent some I mean, some of the best wines you can get. Yeah, and we have no affiliation with them. Like, they just genuinely have, like, a great... Like, yeah. Skernick has a great portfolio. Sometimes you just see a portfolio and you go, those are great wines. Think about it. You and I talk about importers all the time on this show. Yes. We always say, if you don't know about, hey, if you want to buy a French wine, you don't know which French wine to buy, just turn the label around, look at the back label. And what do we talk about? Kermit Lynch all the time. Yep. They have a huge section of Kermit Lynch. What do we talk about? Vias, the company I used to work for. They are awesome they, they represent Vias in all their states. Also at Quench, yeah. Uh, Skernick, Skernick, which, which is which is the the Mousset champagne we drink. My favorite special clubs. My my favorite uh, uh, Gruner, the Brunemeyer, is from them. Is the, it? The, yeah. the Donhoff Rieslings from them. Yeah. I mean, they're one of the top esoteric white distributors or importers there is. It feels like Quench is the wine. Wine, con- not wine connoisseur, like the wine geek, the wi- the people who love the industry's yes. wine portfolio. Yep. So yeah, so I, I noticed because as, as per usual, we got th- the Nebbiolo. Th- think about it though. I mean, some of the high end Napa wines we got a chance to drink. We got to drink Peter Michael, amazing. We got to drink Ravana, Isley Vineyard, yes, which used to be Araujo. Yep. Ravana was there. Barnett was there. I know Continuum's on that, but they weren't there. And then even ones that maybe don't have quite that expensive threshold, Turnbull, another one. Turnbull's there, yeah. People like Miner. I mean, there's Miner was delicious. I mean, across the board. I mean, there's so many. I can't even... I feel bad because there's so many we aren't going to mention because... I, I I took my dad to it, and he walked around, and he sat there, and we did all California. We actually really didn't get a chance to hit the European ones because we were... This was the first time I went there, and talked more than I tried a lot of wines, which annoyed my dad. He's like, let's go try this one, this one. I'm like, you will be dead. You will have alcohol poisoning if you try all of these. So let's pick the ones that you want to do the best. But it was fun because like he got to try a lot of, there was a lot of new people that he never had before. And all of a sudden he's sitting there going, wow, this is, this is an amazing Zen and an amazing cab. And he's thinking it's 50, 60 bucks. And it turns out it's 15, $20. He's like, oh my God, I got to get a case of this now. So of course we'll like bring it into the winery and have him pour. That's why it's fun to do... It's it's great for industry to have things like that because you will always try something new every single time. Yes. So most of these are only going to be trade only. There are some big events you can attend yourself if you are not in the trade. There's some global events, which I recommend going to at least once. Provine, Vin Italy. Uh, there's Aspen Food and Wine. Is Texom open? Te- Texom for- is for sommeliers. Okay. It's the biggest sommelier convention in the United States. What's the biggest American one? There's a... I would say something like Aspen Food and Wine is a big one that's open to the public. I mean, it, Aspen? It costs a lot of money to go oh, okay, to it, okay. but it's got a lot of the high-end producers. And it's not just a distributor then. You're trying a lot of different yeah. wines. There's a number of them around the country. Each state kind of has their own. 
I know ones that are in the Southwest that are open to the public. You know, you just pay for a ticket. Um, one of my favorite ones, Santa Fe Wine and Chili Festival. Yeah, it's got to be right about now. It's yeah, it's the third week of September every year. That is so and, cool. And they have like two hundred different wineries set up, and it's not pretentious. Top wineries from around the world, and everybody has a booth. You just get your glass. You get to eat. It's winery, restaurant, winery, restaurant, winery, restaurant. And so you get to eat all this great food, drink all these great wines. People bring out their good stuff. I'll be honest. Some of these big tasting events, people pour their shit. It's yeah. a way to get rid of last vintage stuff. It's what I've done a couple in California that are charity events and like Del Mar and whatnot. And they're good, but people aren't bringing their best stuff. Yeah. Whereas when you go to a trade show, it's a way to showcase the new release. Provine and Vinitaly are a way to showcase the new release. They do Provine now around the world. It's actually, there's a, there's a United States version. There's a uh, Chinese version. The Chinese one, when that thing gets up and running, is going to be Yeah, monstrous. so there's, there's multiple versions of them. Actually, right now, uh, I think I just heard a thousand Chinese distributors have closed this year. They're, they've taken a big hurt in the wine industry. You know, I got to keep up on the stats. For them selling their own wines no, or coming global, into Global China. wines, yeah. People well, that the are, tariffs that are getting blasted on by America, they're losing the entire American market right now. They didn't really sell a whole lot of American wines anyway. Uh, you don't it, think so? I saw this a lot of friends. As a general but. rule, no. Out of the 9,000 wineries in the United States, probably 100 of them made it to China, to be honest. That's crazy. You know, because think about it, Most of the wines we make in America don't even make it to New York. Yeah. Or the ones that are in New York don't make it to California. Yeah. I mean, Even the ones made in California don't make it down to San Diego. There's so many wineries in California that are winery direct almost completely now. And just to be able to buy in retail is pretty shocking. It is pretty amazing that there's a point where, and I've always said it's a curse more than a gift, but I can understand it, is winery direct from Total Wine, where they have to make so much bulk wine just to hit the country, just to, just to feed the country's want of wine. And all the good stuff gets lost in the mix because... You know, they're one swimmer amongst millions at this point, it feels like. And it sucks, but it is what it is. But again, when America's drinking, what did you say, $150 billion worth of wine? It, it's mind-blowing how much wine the United States consumes overall. I mean, we're the number one wine-consuming nation in the world, and it's not even close. Yeah. Not per capita, though. We are way down the list per capita. Well, people like you and me but, fuck it up when we have two, three bottles out of dinner right. each. But, but, but overall, I mean, we... we we consume what, like nine liters a year? The French consume almost 50 liters a year. <laughs> yeah. But there's what, like less people? I oh, mean, 300 million yes. less of them? We, we got the Appalachian states, like we were talking in the last episode, that just drink whiskey. I mean, there's no, very few people drinking wines like this in Alabama and Tennessee. And that's a, they're moonshining states. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what they drink. I and mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, they're drinking no. booze. Well, it's that's, good. It gives the diversity. It kind of allows for fluid movements for liquor to have its time. Craft beer is having its moment. Yep. Wine had its moment in the 70s when they won. And now it's getting bigger and bigger. Craft beer comes up. Whiskey, or excuse me, liquor will have its moment. Another, it's, it's fun. <laughs> another big article I just posted online was actually about Generation Z, or as some people are calling it, the iGen. This is the first generation that has grown up 100% with the internet. It's the generation that was born from 1995 so, to 2009. Okay, so it's after millennials. Correct. This okay. is the after millennial generation. It is, I mean, way bigger than even the millennials. And as far as the... Bigger uh, than the boomers? Because the boomers are dying off. Right, but, but you think about it, all the boomers had seven kids each. Yeah. So, so it's I grown and grown and grown not, and grown. Yeah. yeah. 
So, but this is the first generation that completely grew up with the internet. And so the wine industry needs to approach these people way different now. And there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be hurting in the next 20 years because they're not going to adapt. Well, that's the one thing about this industry. You have people who, unfortunately, and I think I, thinking about the things that hold certain wineries back, I imagine labels are a big one because I bet Generation Zers love more of a look because they want quick, quick, like, looks. I bet mm-hmm. ratings, magazines, done. Magazines yep. are not going to make it. They need to adapt and switch to online-based things. You can't advertise on TV as much, probably. So how do you reach a younger generation with wines. And I think the one thing you have to do is you have to actually finally engage your customer. Yep. You can no longer sit there and say, well, Robert Parker gave him 100 points. Well, Jeff, what, Donick or whatever his name, or Wilfred Wong or Antonio Galani and James Suckling, like they're going to sit there and go, whatever. Like Antonio Galani will be the culty guy that some, like myself, like I kind of follow. But if if I had a kid, he's like, what the fuck? Like I was on... YouTube and my favorite basketball player pounded a glass of Sasakaya. So now I'm going to have to have Sasakaya. <laughs> so in this study that they did, they interviewed, I mean, thousands upon thousands of, you know, the iGen or Gen Z or whatever they're going to end up calling it. And they said, you know, a lot of them are actually very interested in wine. They're going to, you're going to lose a lot to beer because beer is becoming very approachable. They're making such fun labels. They're making it really exciting. New stuff. New, 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 new. But they said, they asked them, like, what do you want out of the wine industry? What what is the thing that kind of, that you just don't like or that's just not going to engaging? And they said, advertising. This is the generation that truly appreciates ads. Quirky ads, probably. Fun ads. Because they're the ones that are, oh, they, they were raised on their phone. So, and it's not just ads on TV. Nobody cares about, like, if you're sandwiched between a Cialis commercial and a mesothelioma fucking commercial. Nobody gives a shit. But YouTube ads. Yeah. Uh, Instagram ads. Uh, the, first, the things that they said, the, the three things they said, one, just advertise. You never see wine advertisements. I, I've seen two billboards my whole life, and it's for Yellowtail and Stella Rosa. That's it. And and who are the two of the biggest sellers in America right now? Probably Yellowtail and Stella, Stella Rosa. Rosa. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they want to see also more commercials on YouTube. Oh, that's so odd, because we grow up, we hate commercials so much. Right. But you think about it. Those commercials are short. If you can get a five-second ad. Five-second ad on your favorite YouTube channels between your podcast that you're watching Twitch. or between your between your um car thing like you you know on anything you watch on YouTube I watch everything on YouTube I got I broke something in my house I'm gonna look up on YouTube how to fix it I want to program this I want to re-update my website I look up on YouTube everything's on YouTube everything a little five second ad means it, it registers to those millennials the other one is realistic food pairings on Instagram is what they asked for. These are these are actually what they wrote in. That would make a lot of sense to me, especially because I, that this is a generation that, as they grow up on the internet, never probably learned to cook, and so now they have to do they have to eat out a lot, or in some cases they'll Uber eat, but they'll still go out and get their wines. So now they're going to be like, all right, well, what are we going to get tonight? We're going to get so and so thing. Well, cool, I've got a wine for that because I on YouTube was influenced by some guy, and the irony of influencers is. I, I love hearing it. I'm an influencer, but the influencer is actually influenced by what they're promoting. I could pay that person to influence somebody. They're not an influencer because they didn't come up. They didn't find, you know, Caduceus Sancha and went, oh, I got to promote this. Somebody paid them to do it. They're just 
They're the new advertising, are these influencers. And all it takes is a really hot chick or a really good gamer or something like that just immediately, the second you see it, grabs your attention. Well, what, you're hooked. What, when I'm watching TV... Pay, pay a video gamer with a bottle yeah. of wine. Pay the number one Twitch streaming person, and while they're playing, have them take a sip of whatever drink you want. Don't say a word. Don't say a word. Just pound a Zima... Set that down. Zima next week's number one drinking trending thing. A lot of these people have shelves in the background with bottles up or whatever. Yeah. And literally have your bottles on their back shelf. People will start to see it. They'll start to recognize it. And then it just gets ingrained in them. Subliminal. Yes. Yeah. And, and when it comes to TV, when I'm watching TV and an ad comes up, what do I do? I change the channel. Every time. I do it. I, Every I single time. So no, much. I do. And it sucks because you go to another channel and that's also on a commercial too. But literally, and I'll surf the channels until commercials go back, and then I'll go back to the original show I was watching, if I remember what I was watching, <laughs> which <laughs> sometimes happens Which a lot. doesn't always happen as often as you want. But when you click on a YouTube thing, you have to watch that couple seconds. Now, you can skip it, but you get those couple seconds. You see it over and over again, and it registers. Or when they're on Instagram, people are always on Instagram scrolling through. Yeah. And if you get bombarded enough, it slowly builds in your head a little bit. And at the right, and that's where labels come in. Because if you just have your name on a white label with a symbol, you look like every single other wine bottle with a white label. Something you need something that's just it stands out so much that you go, oh, you just nailed the next question. That actually. they stop, like yep. they literally as they scroll, they went, wait, what did I just see? And they scroll back and go, oh, shit, okay, that's cool. All right, well, uh, the one you showed me earlier, that beer can, the Hans Gruner, yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. Stop to me. It was like, what is that? Is that? Oh, that's yeah. very cool. Yeah, it's, it's it's a wine can called Hans Gruner, named after Hans Gruber from Die, Die Hard, Hard, and it has quotes of Die Hard all over the, the can. Greatest Christmas movie of it all is time. the it is the best Christmas movie, and it <laughs> yes, hands down, definitely Christmas movie, hundred percent. I don't care if Bruce Willis said it wasn't. It is. Bruce Willis, said, you know what? Nope. Well, I, I, he I, did during one of the award show. He goes, "It's not a Christmas movie," and everybody booed. Yeah, good. <laughs> They probably deserve that. So that was actually one of the things they asked. What could, if you could change something, what would you change? And they said labeling. They said right now every label looks the same to them. They walk into a wine shop and everything looks the same. One of the reasons why you and I are having so much fun with beer is we're every drinking can a beer. Is dope. We're drinking a, can, a beer called Willie Mays Haze. Willie Mays Haze, and it's a hazy. And IPA. it looks like old baseball cards or basketball cards, depending on what you had. It's yes. so cool. The Deftones has cool little symbols in it. The, not the ba- it is the band, but it's from they're making uh, un- Belching Beaver. They're making unique, fun labels that make people want to try it. And they're putting a good product in that. That's also, the other thing, though. And now you're reaching local because now you have a local artist. Now you have local can Like, you have stuff that's constantly new. And then all of a sudden, one day, you'll be like, what's the next cool can? What's the next cool? It's like a Where's Waldo Wait, if you could hide stuff in your can. I hate to say it. You, lo- you look at a French section. Every fucking line looks goddamn the same. Chateau. So, and it's so confusing because you go, oh, Chateau Margot. Oh, but it's not actually yeah. Margot. Oh, I've, heard, I've heard of Margot. This one's only $12. I thought Margot yeah. was thousands. Yeah. Now you're even more confused. That's one thing about America is that's is the patent laws and something you can't really get as close as people think that they want on it. Like you're never going to have uh, a screaming Falcon cause that'll get shot down immediately. It's just screaming Eagle. You can't have an Eagle stretched out like the label cause they'll, they'll shoot that down too. So at least you can recognize American labels a little easier. Plus you get the creativity of American labels. I wonder though, because these people, I'm pretty sure, putting out beers every single week are not submitting labels to TTB for approval. I, I You know what? I guarantee it. Okay, so... This is actually I'm a really backtrack. good I'm gonna, question. Uh, yes, I think they are. B- 
because there's parameters that you're allowed to set on a previously made label and transfer it. In other words, so for wine, you can have the same label and you don't have to resubmit when you do like a new vintage. You would only really have to do it if you do the alcohol, but on a new creative design, if it's still an IPA falling within a certain parameter, you might not have to resubmit. And by the way, how does, it only takes two weeks now to get TTB done. How does, two weeks. How does somebody like Renhouse put out one or two new labels every single week? I mean, I follow all these breweries like I'll, New I'll Image and they, Cerebral. And, I, would, I would be willing to bet that they have most likely in some cases made 100 labels, submitted them, and got 90 back saying good. The other 10 maybe. And just but waiting. here's the thing. The big problem isn't necessarily the TTB. It's the trademark that might come back and hit you. And by then, they're gone. It's too late. Like the cans are out the building. They're not going to bring it back as that same can. And then, you know, whatever. If you copyright something and you only make 5,000 cans, the chances of the actual company having something. Like if you made Just Do It Beer... You could probably sell all 10,000 cans before Nike turned around, got their lawyers to write you a cease and submit. And by the time you got that letter, you're already sold out. And you're like, oh, okay, I, we won't do it again. But you're already sold out. And then you never do That's it again. That's actually a really good point. It's not like these big giant companies that have the Bud Lights, the uh, Kilt Lifter. You're never going to do it because you're not going to make a million cans to compete against them. Red House, in theory, or Cerebral or New Image, could skirt that line of getting really close and then that's it because it's done. But the reality is, is I'd be willing to bet they have a local artist or some artist that they use that's a totally new thing and the TTB and the two-week period goes, cool, go ahead. They give you like a pre-approval and you're out the door and whatever, just print it and go. Because on our Instagram, we follow all these breweries and as I'm looking at them, like I'm constantly like, that label's awesome. That label's awesome. Like, I, Willie Mays Hayes. There was one called uh, Scam Likely that came out and it's literally, cool. it, it looks like a phone call and it's like answer or don't answer. It's, it's the iPhone well, and that, it, the name says Scam Likely. Yeah. Well, the one that, uh, the Oyster one that we have, the Black Pearl from, you know, down the street, that that might have actually probably been denied if given enough time and if they made that done because, because of Disney. Disney. Yeah. Guarantee if they with a long enough time and period, if they do that every single year, eventually they'd probably get a cease and desist from it. Chateau Mouton sues every winery in the world that puts a sheep on the label. It Perfect does. example. So I know a winery that actually got sued from the sheep. They have a sheep on the label. That's all it was. It was a sheep and they got sued. Because they had the sheep. Yep. And so the next vintage, they made the sheep black. And they said, well, it's the black sheep of Mouton now. Yeah. Or call it a goat. Yeah. Put two horns on it, and it, now it's a goat. But that they will sue everybody that has a sheep just because it's their their, it's their, their, thing. their, their thing, which is so dumb. But yeah. they're, they have more money than God. They're the iron bank of, <laughs> of the wine industry. I mean, that's what they are. The golden company. No, literally. I mean, the, the Mouton family is pretty much the only people that can... Isn't it like, the and Lafitte Rothschild? Rothschilds, yeah, the Rothschilds, money too. Rothschild, yeah. is it Rothschild? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was Rothschild for something. Yeah, Rothschild. They 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 can literally poke British royalty in the chest and get away with it. I have a picture of them doing that. <laughs> so. Well, when you have all the European money, yeah, yeah, totally, and that. all the wine. Yeah. I mean, that's. Countries were conquered because of those wines. They weren't necessarily conquered because they wanted France. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid, no, no, pristine no, farmland. No offense to the French, but they wanted your wines yeah, yeah. and your cheese. And, and yeah, yeah. And whatever gold you stole from somebody else. Totally. No, but yeah, I, I, I guarantee the TTB is overwhelmed. The parameters are probably way tighter. It's kind of like the patent offense. They usually tend to give you a go-ahead, and then two years later they go, no. That's been patented, you know, you get like a temporary use. And if you're making new beer 
all the time. Like True. Stone has to make a patent. All these breweries that are putting these stuff out, all these beers out, they're single releases. They're done usually by next week. And they're that's it. Finished. And we're out. Yeah. They, they're barely even hitting the internet because people are lining up to buy them because it's a special release. And I would not be surprised. And I'm not saying anybody does this. I just, I wouldn't be surprised is all I'm saying. If everybody puts the government warrant, they follow the parameters, government warning, alcohol content, what's in it and the ounces. And they maybe don't even submit. They, they do their staples. Like we're always going to make a, like Renhouse always has that one Pilsner. And I know I'm using Renhouse. I know there's more. Well, Cause we go there a lot. They're yeah. right up the street. But, I mean, but like, I, if you have one, you're going to use all the time. You definitely submit that. But if you're going to make an off brand because your tank went bad, fuck it. Who cares? Throw a label on it. Sell that shit. Coffee Kolsch from Huss. It's one of their main beers. They have oh, all the time. Kilt lifter. All the time. All now, Kit Liver's doing all these crazy one-offs, finally. And Stone can get away with probably not submitting TTB as long as they constantly use that that gargoyle face and all they tweak is the alcohol percentage and what's in it. And, that, and I don't know the beer laws. I know the wine laws. And the wine laws, basically, you can constantly... You don't have to resubmit your label if the vintage changes. You only have to do it if the alcohol goes above the threshold of the tax that they want, which nowadays it changes 16. So even then... You don't have to resubmit as long as it stays within the parameters that they set until you go full blown brand new label. I mean, we're going to have uh, Sean from the brewery come on here pretty soon. He's going to be on in the next week or two, and he's probably going to be able to answer a lot of these questions. He might not know some of the business questions, but he's also worked for breweries in other states. And so a lot of the times we're like, oh, I don't know this. I don't know. Those are all the questions he's going to be able to answer yeah. for us. Well, also, by the way, just because it's a brewer doesn't mean they necessarily know the legalities of these. There's a reason some wineries have legal departments for things, because sometimes the laws are fluid. And what do we say? Like 10% of the breweries that start go out of business like every year? Is that what it was? Yeah, it was a, it was a third? It was quite a bit. Like it, was, I was, it was less than what we thought, but still a high enough number. I think it was like that. 900 were created and 100 of them ended up going out of business. Yeah, that sounded about right. So for every year, yeah, I think it was about 10 or 12%. Uh, was a turnover rate. Yeah. So let's talk about some wine. Yeah. So Nebbiolo, because of course... Because why not? We got... How many episodes have we had with Nebbiolo or Barolo now? Probably like a, like th- at a least third like, of them. Yeah, uh, you know, t- uh, 25% of them. So this was the one that I actually grabbed from the show uh, because it's brand new with the Vias. I used to work we, with I used to we, work with Vias Imports. Yeah. Well, we bought it from the show, you know, so, afterwards. So it's a, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a, it's a Lunga. So this is going to be... The Alba. Yep. So, but Saralunga is going to be more um, eastern. So Saralunga is close to Barolo, though, right? They're all a stone's throw away. That's like, a good point. When, when, when you stand on the hill and you look around, you could see everything. They're yeah. all within eyesight because it's all flat earth, you know? It's not that far <laughs> away. But as far as where Saralunga... <laughs> when I talk about like Rivera and, and Novello, they're to the south. Yeah. Saralunga is going to be more to the east. Okay. So typically a little more aggressive in their youth, a little more age-worthy. This is what I think mentally when I think of Saralunga. Uh, this is their Nebbiolo Diablo. Uh, I didn't have a chance to try these wines at their trade show two months ago when I went. Tried through the Barolo and the Nebbiolo, and both of them are great. I think this wine has got a ton of ageability on it. Sometimes Nebbiolos, they age okay. I'd say as a general rule, I don't want to age Nebbiolo unless it's like the Bruno Giacosa that we had that one time. Yeah, Barolo Barbaresco, you but, age. But, but, that, but that Bruno Giacosa Nebbiolo is more Barolo than most Barolos. Yeah. It's like Bondesanti Rosso is a better version of a Brunello than most Brunellos. Yes. It's the best way to put it. Um, but brand new, I'm pretty sure to the United States. I don't think this has ever been here. Um, this was opened two days ago. 
Um, part of this episode two, we want to talk about how wines have held up after a couple days. Yeah. Because some wines fall apart. Toast, dead. And two days later, a Pinot Noir is often rubbish. Yes. Like, rarely do you want to drink a Pinot Noir. And often a Barolo is better the next day. Uh, I think this wine, besides the fact that it's Arizona room temperature, which is like... I've noticed. Yeah. Uh, 80 degrees, which is not necessarily the most optimal... Uh, I think it's drinking great right I've now. I've been sipping it this whole time. It's actually not bad. I noticed that you're spending more time drinking that than the other one. Because I want to come back to this. A, because it's native, and B, this is throwing an entire wrench into my drinking right now. We have never talked about Arizona wines on the show either. Because in all honesty, I think I'm at a point after trying every single Arizona wineries, I think we're finally at a point where I, I, we, I could dedicate an entire episode to Arizona wines. The I, good and the bad. Like we, It's a good, bad, and ugly spaghetti western Clint Eastwood style episode about I have it. a I have a couple producers that are on my radar to come on. I would love to get the people from Chateau Tumbley, Tumbleweed on. Oh, I love them. I would love to get uh, Maynard on at some point soon to talk about stuff like this. Yeah. Uh, Pavle now planted now his, his own vineyard. fruit, and he's been... He wants to talk about how much money he's put into it and the costs and the I'd work. I'd be intrigued about that one, because that would be... People would like to know what it's like they to start no, a vineyard. have no idea what it costs for every little thing from the tanks to the barrels to the to the vines to the irrigation to the upkeep to the cost cost to pick you got to buy bins you got to buy and he's like when we were talking at the trade show he's like let's talk about the cost involved and you could tell that this is something that's very close to him well it's like the running joke is if you want to make money in the wine industry don't be don't buy a vineyard yeah you know how you make a million dollars in the wine business start with 10 <laughs> that's the only way yeah i mean so i'll, I'll switch to this one cuz i like this so this one's this one's unique. Our, man. our our first Arizona wine drink on the podcast. Gotta do. Gotta go with Caduceus. I mean, so, so really, I respect Maynard an awful lot because he has put his blood, sweat, and tears into that vineyard. He is probably the only celebrity on the planet that has a vineyard that works the vineyards. He plants the vineyard too. He plants them. He picks them. He prunes them. He, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, like his movie was called Blood and the Wine. Yeah. Drew Barrymore has her name on a wine. Uh uh-uh, uh, she doesn't do shit. Angelina and Brad Pitt had that uh-uh, one. Don't, don't do shit. No. Uh, Yao Ming. Yeah. Danica Patrick. Yeah. I uh-uh. could name, we can name things for days or not. Though. I cannot, I only They're know. They're there for a day. I know, only know of one other person who has actually gotten a little dirty making wine, and that's the guys behind Red Stitch. That's the baseball guys. Yeah, the baseball guys. I think guys. Drew Bledsoe, because he's got a halfback or double back or yes. whatever. I think, it's I, think, called, I think it's called double back? Yeah, I think that's the yeah. name of it. I think he's actually pretty well involved in the actual winemaking aspect. But I've had a chance. I've met Maynard. Um, I, I can actually say this, and uh, like your Reddit comment, I'm not a Tool fan. I, I like two of their songs, and otherwise I'm just like, all right, whatever. So to are me, you, it's like, all right. Are you a Perfect Circle fan? Are you a Pussifer fan? Perfect circle, I do enjoy. Uh, tool, tool, it's, you know what it is? It's just generation, it's, maybe? Yeah, maybe I may have missed mo- it. But I saw Pussifer in concert and I literally, like, two songs in, went, what the fuck am I watching? But and I, I, I have no, I think it's it's not Angela. What's the other girl? Uh, Mila Jovovich. Is she the lead singer of that or some shit? I don't think so. I thought it was. I swear but, to God, I thought I saw like, her at one point. But, like, like, his music, like, stuff like Enema and uh, Opiate, they came out and, like, the 90s. I mean, well, that whole dun, 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 like that rift, everybody like kind of knows for a song. Yeah. And why cannot we? Why can't we be sober? I mean, he's got some great yeah. songs. I, but those songs also came out when you were 
a bit younger. Yeah, but I still love Led Zeppelin and Def Leppard and all that. I'm not saying he's bad by any means. Like, it's maybe just, you just didn't get into the heavy metal phase in your life. But I listen to Corn because that's fun. All right. I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'm going to give it a. You know what? I'm going to go revisit their library now that it's actually it's available. all available. That might be it too. Like maybe I just haven't gone back and yeah. listened to the stuff because I had their CDs. And I just, you know, that says a lot about the time period. But I've had a couple chances to meet him and I, talk to him a little bit in this. Yeah, I, CDs. I, I had it on tape, <laughs> cassette. Uh, and you know, in the cassette, I dubbed off the radio. Yeah, you hit there and you waited. <laughs> I waited for the DJ to stop talking I, and hit play and record. I remember putting "Sober" on a tape cassette that I gave a girl in like <laughs> 1995. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I love it. Yep, that happened. But dude, he's so weird. Uh, he's such a cool, like, he's a cool dude. His sense of humor is. He's an artist. Dry. But my, my, my thing is, he's an artist. Yeah. Every artist I've ever met and true artists well, he's also tend, to, tend to be dedicated, tend to be a little left of center and everything that the way they approach everything in life. I know that with his wine, if you talk with Maynard about wine, he's Loves super it. into it. Yeah. If you try and talk to him about wine and then switch to his music, he yeah. shuts down because he he's he's more passionate about his he, wine than his which music. Which is crazy to me because he's it, he does have a he has that unique uh, and I think artist is the right put it, like his focus on what he's doing with this is really impressive. And I'll give him all the credit because he's looking at a site that everybody else who meant, who wants money, like a Napa uh, Napa producer go, well, we can't put it here because we can't make money. He goes, fuck it. I'm going to make that site happen. I don't care what it tastes like. I'm going to work it, and we're just, we're just fucking doing it. So a number of years ago at the trade show, he was pouring, and I was pouring, and he was on the other side of the room, and he went to walk by, and he said, hey, you need to try this Barolo. And I had the Canubi up there. And he's like, oh, I love Italian wines. And he's like, let me try a couple things. He tried a couple things, and I got him into the Canubi, and literally his entire world stopped. Good. He... Did not leave my table for over an hour. And we talked all about his wine, where he came from. We talked about his family. He was talking about how he had wanted to mimic the soils of where his family's vineyards were in Italy, but he couldn't find them in America. Like, he couldn't find those soils in California, Washington, Oregon. And finally, he found them in Arizona. Like, he's not a native Arizonan, I don't think. No, I don't think he is either. But he, he identified... A, a terroir that matched his family's vineyards. And so yeah. he that's why he settled here because he wanted to do stuff like what his family did. And I respect that a lot. Also, it was pretty fun because people were walking by my table that day and he was stopping them going, you got to, don't walk by this table. You got to drink this guy's wine. Got to drink this stuff, right? He, was, he became my ambassador for the afternoon. I love it. It was awesome. Dude, man, he's a good guy to have in your corner. So I, I've, I've, like I said, I've had every single wine of Arizona producers, like I think at least 95% of them, I could say I've had them all. And his are always some of those ones that I, they're not the first like go-to for me, but I've had some of his older stuff and I went, oh shit, there it is. Like they actually age decently. And the fact that half the time I don't, I'm not really sure what it is like I'm having. So we're having the Sancho, which I had a, I had to pull up because I think it's a Tempranillo. Tempranillo Syrah, maybe? Uh, yeah, I, I, I got to look this one up because so, I really want to make sure I'm saying the right thing on this one. So um, those of you guys who don't know, I taste a lot of wines every year. Yeah, Tempranillo. And I'm on this thing called the AVA. It's the Arizona Viticulturals Alliance. So every single year, I try every single wine made in Arizona. Now, I'm susceptible to tannin powder, certain things I could pick up in wine. One thing I've always said every year when I try the wines, they're always missing natural acid. They're, they're sometimes a little flat. 
And so yes. I blind taste all these. I, I blind taste 60 wines in an afternoon. And one of my biggest gripes is they tend to not have the natural acid. And that's always my feedback. This past year, every wine was zipping in acidity. So what do they do? They acidified them all. Mm. Which means they're not going to last. They're not going to age well. This is no. that fake acid. This is that line thing of chemicals we were talking about that's going to give Citric you the headache. Acid. This, this isn't the sulfites that give you the headache. This is the shit that gives you the headaches. Now, this wine has natural acidity. This wine that we're actually drinking is a 2012, and it's now... Two days open? And it's been open for two days. Doesn't smell like it's been open for more than five minutes. It's fresh as a daisy. It's drinking spot on. This I'm would be the first wine I would say... That if somebody put this in front of me and said, where do you think it's from? I'd say Europe. I'm going to say, this might be the best Arizona wine I've ever had in my glass. Yeah. This and, like, there's two wineries that I've been more of. Seven years old. I'm there's, telling you, it's not like he does, to his credit, does a really good. Plus, by the way, low alcohol. We've opened up how many wines were seven years old that were shit, that were rubbish, that were over the hill, past their prime. Like, there's a lot of Arizona wines we've opened that are two years old and past yeah, their prime. Exactly. And this wine is, for being open two days, I mean, it's just opening up, too. I mean, I could, I could blind taste somebody that is a big wine collector and have their mind blown that this is an Arizona wine. Yeah, you have all that upfront tannin. And it's not cold. This wine is 80 degrees right now, too. This isn't a pleasant a temperature. Point. But it's all the flavor that you want. The oak isn't crazy. Nope. I'm honestly barely getting much up. The acid but all the is tannins up front. Acid natural. There. It's a well-built wine. I will I say it gives me, I, I do like having someone like Maynard here, not just because, A, for like the two big reasons. One, you have a truly dedicated person. So like every time there's a story of how did Napa start, Mandavi, Mandavi was dedicated with crew. Like we're going to make this good. He'll do that. Plus he puts his money where his mouth is. I think he donated a couple million to make that Southwest uh, college, like yep. built the vines up. So like he's putting his money there and he's doing the time and he's doing the effort. And you need people like that. It doesn't matter if you're in Michigan, Minnesota, Idaho. When you have somebody who's dedicated to making your state or your region at best, like the big thing, and, and we're going to focus. And even if it starts out shit, garbage, y yeah. every brewery probably started off terrible. It started with the guy in a garage, and he went, I'm going to make that better until it became something big. So when we do the AVA tastings, the people who pre-taste the wines to make sure they're not corked and that pour all the wines from us are all the students from Yavapai. Yavapai. I was thinking penal, and I was like, I know yeah. it's not penal, but no, that's, that's, that's a prison. <laughs> and, <laughs> that's the prison, dude. <laughs> yeah. It's also probably of an oh. <laughs> No, I got to stop myself. <laughs> Sorry, I've had enough to drink where my filter almost just went. Woo. But this is one thing I've said. So once again, I've tried every single wine in Arizona pretty much for the yeah, last we pretty much have. seven years. And... They're trying to figure out what works here. The grapes they're growing today were not the grapes they were growing 10 years ago. They were trying a lot of Malvasia, a lot of Cab, a lot of Chard. Love Malvasia out here. I think it's doing really well. I think that the, there's, there's the European varietals that have adapted well to warm climates, have worked very well in parts of Arizona. Sangiovese, Montepulciano, Tempranillo. I'm going to tell you, we are going to be the hot zone for Montepulciano, Tempranillo and Sangiovese. So then the trick is to get people to stop buying Chianti and say, get Arizona. Arizona, Arizona, like if you want to talk about marketing, we're, mar we're going to go for Gen Z. How do we do that? Arizona's the new Chianti. So how do you then change the, new, the younger kids who cannot afford Napa and probably don't give a shit about Sonoma, especially when you want local? So now going back to the advertising thing, 
Arizona is like a new Chianti for, or the new Italy. But the you, new, you know, my biggest gripe with Arizona wines is the price point. These, it's getting better. It's fine. They're finally playing it off. It's some produ- slowly, some slowly. producers are finally doing it. You need a gateway drug. Every single winery, every single great growing region has an introductory wine. We have it though now. We officially, as of this year, I think have it. It's that provisioner, ten dollars. Yeah, ten dollars. Todd Bostock, Dos Cabezas, Toscano. Dos Cabezas, Toscano. Dos Cabezas, Toscano. Whatever that thing is, like it's like nine dollars. Nine dollars. Like I'm thinking somebody's in wholesale. I don't know. Was fourteen, thirteen on the shelf or something like that? It's not expensive. You go to Havilena Leap. That dude's trying to charge fifty bucks for his introductory wine. Well, I mean, he granted, can, he can he can go fuck himself for all I this, care for that this, price. This isn't exactly the most expensive. Now, granted, you're gonna get the quality. You're, you're you're creeping up on the quality to match the price point, which is good. But you also get the name too. But right, there's a few people out there in here in Arizona that I've gone in and went, man, that's a good bottle of wine. I'll take that. What is that? Fifty bucks? Well, cool. Uh-uh. There's your ten dollar tasting. I'm not buying that. Yeah, no. And how do you, how are you going to get people to drink your region? How are you going to get people to turn on? How does Barolo get people to drink Barolo? They drink cheap Longue. Put, put out a great Longue Nebbiolo. Exactly. How do you drink a? How do you get someone to drink a great Brunello? You get them to drink your Rosso di Montalcino. California got everybody drinking Cab, and then they went and said Napa's the best. So you drink a California Passarobel Central Lodi Zin. And then all of a sudden, you're starting to creep into other areas of Napa. You can find a cab in California for 10 bucks that's smoking. And you say, okay, this is great. Now I'm going to go up to 18. I'm going to drink Paso. Man, this is delicious. Now I'm going to go up to Napa and buy their introductory ones for 30. My God, this is awesome. Now I want to try the big boys. I want to try the 50 and 60s. And I think that's what a lot of states are going to have to do. If they want to start building and budding wine industries, it doesn't matter if it's West Virginia to Michigan, New York, anywhere. You've got to come out inexpensive and i know it sucks and that's the thing about wine this isn't beer you can't just keep making new stuff like wine is a totally generational thing where you have to look 30 years down the line and go i'm gonna make money 25 years from now but i just have to sustain yes till a point because you're talking about the land that you need to grow and the wines you're gonna do and you have to kind of come out a little high just to be able to pay your bills and that sucks dude we're ta- it's the it's the <laughs> 20 pound elephant in the room. It's the monster. That's what we're talking about this whole episode is that it's, this is the monster in the room. This is what people don't want to talk about though. These are some rough subjects. Like, yeah, you, you know what? cannot sell $50 fucking Arizona wine unless you are Maynard and you might be the only guy to get away with it. You cannot do it in this state. I know more people. I constantly see everybody at festivals. They come into my winery and you know me and I get my grapes from California and I make, you know, basement style wines. Every single person I have is like, I tried Arizona wine. It was good, but I'm not going to spend the money on it. I'm not going to spend the money. And I'm just like, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, did you like it? Yeah. Okay, but, well, what was the price point? 60 bucks. I'm like, oh, well, yeah. Um, yeah, I get it. I'm not, I don't want to spend $70 on a Viognier from Wilcox. I don't want to spend $70 on a French wine unless it's Burgundy. Yeah, and even that fucking uh, awesome Burgundy that uh, Poulini Matache that Oscar brought on. Yeah, what do you say? That was like seventy dollars retail. Oh, the white that was like forty. But that was that was the village one. His the upper end one was like yeah that high. That's cheaper than what this guy's producing ninety miles north. This is my my biggest in Arizona. Land can't be that expensive. My biggest gripe is the guy. I can buy a wine in Italy, truck it across this country, put it on a boat. Ship it all the way to New York, then put it on a refrigerated truck to Arizona and pay every salesperson along the way plus taxes, and it's only 20 bucks when it gets here. And it's fantastic. But you and your wines produced in Cottonwood want to tell me that your cheapest wine is 
$60 a bottle? Yeah. Get and off like, your high I, horse. And listen, if you're going to come out of the gate swinging and build like this mansion to yourself and putting the newest equipment and whatever, that's fine. Like, honestly, one of my favorite. I don't want to pay for this mansion. Yeah. I want to pay for the wine. Yeah. I will tell you, I love, and I'm enjoying this. I really am. I am but my, too. my other favorite is Deep Sky. Deep Sky is down in Sonoida. And she's, Kim is one of the nicest ladies. She's awesome. And their wines are 20 Their most expensive is the Syrah at $33. And it's, you know what? It's good, but their $20 Malbec is killer More for an people. Arizona wine. I'm like, you? And she sits there and she's like, listen, we're good. We don't like, you know, it's not our main bill pimp, but we just want to promote Arizona wine. Great. You're going to be, in 10 years from now, one of the top Arizona wineries because everybody's going to walk in and go, yeah, I'll take a $20 bottle. And then everybody who leaves your room is going to have They that. remember it and you're building that reputation. And My then- dad drank it and went, that's good. Yeah. My dad, who hates, <laughs> yeah. hates Arizona wine. I handed him a glass and said, try this. And he all day was shitting on French. It was funny. He, I handed him a Chateauneuf de Pop. And he was like, would you fart in this and hand this to me? I'm like, no, oh, yeah. I handed him the Arizona Malbec from Deep Sky. And he goes, oh, that's actually really good. What is that? I said, it's a Malbec. He goes, oh, that's really tasty. Where's that from? I was like, Sonoida. And he just looked at me. He's like, bullshit. Like, yep, nope. We're that's finally probably- coming online. So people are finally doing it. I'm really glad because... You just need that gateway. Yeah. Around the country, around the world. I mean, the world should be drinking these wines. We are I can smell this making this a lot of noise. I'm really nice. impressed by this. I, this is so floral. Probably the most I've ever been impressed with an Arizona wine. Honestly, and I'd, I'd be willing to say that this might, I, and I don't know, I, I, there's, no, there's no reference point. This might be able to age even another couple more years. But I think maybe, maybe even right now it's good to drink. Plus, Ma- Magnums age a little bit slower. A little slower. You know, and this was sealed in wax, which means there was no air getting in. So it has seven years of being sealed up tighter than a frog's ass. You know, I mean, this is best way to put it. I mean, <laughs> so and I mean, this is a special back to those sayings that where they come from. Always, yeah. But this is this is a special bottle. I mean, it's Are all etched and stroking the bottle. <laughs> I mean, but I love the fact that even the front label, the back label, everything's like embossed into the yeah. label. So he, he obviously spent some money on it saying, okay, this is a wine we're going to hold on to. So this was a special bottle that was part of a Magnum after party, which there were 400 Magnums at, and not every bottle got drank. And I was like, um, we're going to talk about this in the podcast, so I'm taking it home with me. Yeah, that's, like how, that's how I came home. So if uh, Maynard or anybody's listening, this is going to a good home, and there's a reason Somebody why we're doing Somebody would appreciate this. it nicely. Yeah, you know, unfortunately with a lot of those parties like that everyone's going to gravitate towards you know the the big california wines of somebody who brought the the 300 400 000 bottle there was some old bottles of champagne soda bubble like there's a 75 christopher uh yeah you saw some pictures online yeah oh man i wish you remember but yeah some like those are gone before i got there of course yeah you can't bust out a seven and i don't like those wines anyways but you know you want to try it and see what happens do what i there was one wine i wanted to try when i got there and it was gone and it was the soda bubbles Okay. From Peter. No, I love. I saw. I, I hit him up on Instagram because I looked at it. and I was like, "That's really cool." Because Soda makes some good Pinot Noir. I spent a while at their table. We're gonna have them on the show too next time they come into town. Excellent. Because uh, they make the Planet Oregon wines yep. too, and you know, I got a couple of bottles of the 14s back there. Yeah, yeah. We've been drinking that for like two years now. What's the crazy thing about all the wines we've had today? They all have sulfites, and I feel great. Yeah, I don't have a headache. <laughs> Clearly, I don't have a. Allergy. But we don't have any water on the table either. Yeah, well, I drank a glass before I came on. Maybe we cheat. <laughs> I'll drink a couple glasses when I'm done with this too. Maybe people should sublim- subliminally just sublim- subliminable. 
Yeah. Indubitably. <laughs> but I'm guilty of it too. I'll be honest. Like I preach about drinking a lot of water when we're doing these, but I don't always drink them. We had this party on Saturday where we opened up 14 bottles of insane wines with friends, and I think I drank one glass of water, and the next day I was acting like I had a sulfide headache. That's why, I don't know if you noticed, but I bring bottles of water with me now, because I'm at a point, I actually hate it. I really hate that headache. I don't mind, like, if I'm going to have a hangover, I want to have a great night, and I usually do, you know, there's like a mezcal, you know, like some great wine, something, I'm like, all right, I'm going to have a hangover, but I want to avoid that damn headache, because the headache fucks your day up so bad. It does. It's like a fucking rancor. Goddamn rancors. <laughs> but like all things, all it takes is one little thing to cut that down and, you know, change the entire game. Yeah, exactly. So what, I mean... Let's wrap this up, huh? Yeah. We literally, this was perfect. I really want to just talk a lot I feel, about... I feel warm from just, you know, like, I, uh, I boiled feel, inside. I, I feel like I just released some aggression. We could have done an Alex Jones thing. Well, it's not the sulfites. I'm just turning <laughs> all the frogs gay. Don't drink the sulfites. <laughs> could have yeah. done that the entire episode. My God. Listen, but this this was good. I, I think we'll probably have a few more of these. We'll talk about sulfites a million more times. I'm happy about the wines. The Rosso was tasty. It's a good, you know, surprise Nebbiolo that we had. But the Caduceus, we'll definitely have to do an Arizona wine one. Yeah, I'm, we're going to do a couple. I mean, I'm going to challenge a number of Arizona winemakers to come on the show. I really want to get San Reckoner, Chateau Tumbleweed. Yeah, Tumbleweed. There's a couple people that I respect a lot. And I, I, I appreciate what they're doing. I know they're getting better and better every year. Yeah. Let's go celebrate by drinking these. I got liquor licensing for new stores. Woo! New stores coming, you know, between now and eventually. Brought to you by me. I'm probably this guy, too. Probably the best way to find out about the new stores coming is to follow us on uh, Instagram. And YouTube. And Facebook. Well, pretty much every social media platform. Maybe Twitter. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, all these videos are now officially on YouTube uh, in actually good high definition. Yeah, right. We could see everybody. <laughs> and they could see us. It gets better and better. Yeah, they could see how ugly we are finally. <laughs> well, yeah, you. Me. Totally. <laughs> I'm the personality. You're the good looks. Exactly. Totally. That's Cheers, it. Fucker. Cheers, fucker. Thanks, guys. <laughs>